It's wonderful to be able to repeat my welcome to you all to this service and to the garden party that will follow immediately after. Um, if you're not familiar with the building, um, then the way to the garden is through the door at the back of the church here. And that is where the drinks will be served. So we expect you all to head in that direction um, once the organ voluntary has come to an end. And uh, we'll ensure uh, that you have plenty to drink and then the food will also be served um, uh, as you gather there. The dictionary definition of transfiguration is a change in form or appearance or an exalting, glorifying or spiritual change. And those are both aspects of transfiguration that could be seen in our gospel reading this evening. But the story, of course, defines the word best. Sam Wells, the vicar of St. Martin in the fields, has put it like this. In this story, there's glory. The glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. There's the pattern of God's story in Israel and the church a story that finds its most poignant moments in the midst of suffering and exile. There's the loving, tender presence and heavenly voice of God the Father, a voice that for the only time in their lives the disciples hear and understand. And there's the extraordinary realization that even though all this could have gone on without them, the disciples have actually been caught up in the life of the Trinity, the mystery of salvation, the unfolding of God's heart, the beauty of holiness. The way Sam describes it, transfiguration involves the glory of seeing a person or event in the bigger story of God's loving purposes for the world. Up until this point, the disciples have known that Jesus does plenty of amazing and wonderful things and that he says many beautiful and true things, but they still assume that he's basically the same as them. It's only as they go up the mountain with him that the veil slips and they're invited into a whole other world, a world in which Jesus is completely at home even when the Father's voice thunders from above. But more remarkably still, it seems that there's a place in that world for them, hanging out with the likes of Moses and Elijah. They're given a glimpse of glory. It's a glory that's faithful to the story of Israel. It's a glory that has Jesus at the center of it, a glory that has God speaking words of love, a glory that has a place for them, however stumbling or clumsy they are. And finally, it is a glory in which Jesus touches them tenderly in their fear. And Sam Wells suggests that this experience of transfiguration, this glimpse of glory, can actually shape the way in which we pray by giving our prayers the same extra dimension. In fact, he details three different ways to pray. The first involves resurrection, 
Resurrection prayer is a prayer calling for a miracle. It is a prayer of faithful risk. We look to the heavens with a tightened fist and say, sweet Jesus, if you're alive, make your presence known. The second way to pray is incarnation. That is a prayer of presence. Perhaps more silent than a prayer of resurrection, a prayer that recognizes, yes, that Jesus was raised, but that it happened through brokenness. And that through Christ, God shares our pain and our frailty. And so we pray, acknowledging that God suffers with us. But the third way to pray is the way of transfiguration. Sam writes, God, in your son's transfiguration, we see a whole reality within and beneath and beyond what we thought we understood. In times of bewilderment and confusion, show forth your glory that we may find a deeper truth to life than we ever knew. Make firmer friends than we ever had. Discover reasons for living beyond what we'd ever imagined and be folded into your grace like never before. In other words, the prayer of transfiguration is a prayer that in whatever circumstance ask God to reshape our reality, to give us a new and right spirit to trust that even in the midst of suffering and hardship, truth can still be experienced and shared. On the mountain, the disciples discovered that Christ was part of a conversation with Israel and God and was dwelling in glory in a way they had no idea of and could hardly grasp, and yet it put everything on a different plane. And as a result, the prayer of transfiguration is a different kind of prayer. The prayer of resurrection has a certain defiance about it. In the face of what seem to be all the known facts, it calls on God to produce the goods and turn the situation around. It has courage and hope, but there's always that fear that it has a bit of fantasy as well. The prayer of incarnation, by contrast, is honest and unflinching about the present and the future. But you could say it's a little too much swathed in tragedy. It's so concerned to face reality that there's always that fear that it's never going to discover the glory of what lies above. The prayer of transfiguration is different. Not so much fix this and take it off my desk, nor even be with me and share in my struggle now and always, but instead something more like this. Make this trial and tragedy, this problem and pain, a glimpse of your glory, a window into your world where I can see your face, sense the mystery in all things, and walk with angels and saints. Bring me closer to you in this crisis than I have ever been in calmer times. Make this a moment of truth, and when I cower in fear and feel alone, touch me, raise me, and make me alive 
like never before. It may be that you may wish to make the prayer of transfiguration your prayer for yourself at this time in the midst of whatever it is that you are wrestling with today. Amen.